Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We had a great Easter at St. John's. Your congregation was crazy last week in the best possible sense. It seemed like we were kind of back to normal, like things were rocking and rolling like we, we like to see it happen. Our attendance last Sunday was fantastic. People were deeply committed to worshiping the risen Lord Jesus. We had a huge number of volunteers served last Sunday. Volunteers spread throughout the campus for the entire weekend. So many new people saying, hey, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. And just a fantastic opportunity for people to be engaged. Sunday was fantastic. Saturday wasn't bad either. The Easter egg hunt welcomed children from Olive Crest, and God has opened a door for us to work with Orange County Child and Family Services, which is an enormous piece for our, for our congregation. And that event was amazing. There were children everywhere. You saw some of the pictures, and you'll see more in the days ahead. The lines were so long for the food, we had to tell the guy, just keep serving, we'll pay you later, and that worked out very, very well. One of the rules I have is that I grew up in a household where it was always told no. Can I have this? Can I do that? Can we go here? Can we do that? And my father, who I love dearly, would always say no, 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 no. And so I've got kind of a bias there. Uh, and I think when the children come on our campus, they should hear yes, 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 yes. Can I have another shaved ice? Yes. Can I have more tacos? Yes. Can I play the game? Yes. I believe that the children who are part of that segment of our community always hear no. And I think that having a day at least where they hear yes, 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 is good for their soul and good for their parents as well. One of the pieces that I really appreciated last week was led by Alex and Carissa and Stefan. I thought our music last week and last weekend, starting with that roaring prelude, got us all going. Our choirs, our handbells, the quartet, the brass, all of those people, deeply, deeply grateful for that work and commitment. And for you as a congregation, for your prayers and love and encouragement, so grateful for that. And now we get to roll. Now we get to go through these Sundays after Easter, which are some of the best texts in the whole, whole Scripture. I love this piece of doubting Thomas. We get to think about skepticism a little bit and what we believe and why we believe it and how God leads Thomas to believe more fully what Jesus is, is all about. I read this text and I remember one of the coolest gifts I ever received. I had house set for a guy named Pastor Marth at seminary, and we had used his house that weekend, which was next to the president's house on seminary terrace. We had used that as a base of operations for me and all my friends, and we had a rather nice time that week while Pastor Marth was, was out. I worked for him in the seminary advancement office, and actually he knew my father, and we were, we were friends. So he knew that I was a basketball guy at that time. And at that time, Magic Johnson was young, Kareem was old, James Worthy had just been drafted, and the Lakers were putting it on everybody, including the dreaded Celtics and Larry Bird. The Lakers were killing it. And I love to watch Magic Johnson play basketball. He, Magic was unstoppable. He'd talk about all these guys and all of these things. And with the exception of Michael Jordan, I think Magic Johnson was the best player 
well, maybe to ever, well, Kareem, we can talk with the donut over coffee afterwards, but after I had sat for him, Pastor Marth and his dear wife invited me over, and I thought we were going to be in trouble for the beer cans that were in the recycle piece, but he said, Tim, I got something for you. And they handed me a bag with a box that was wrapped up, and inside of that was a, a Lakers tank top, kind of in that old gymnasium gray. And on the back it said, clink, with magic's number beautifully on the back. <laughs> I thought that was the coolest thing in the whole world. And, and every afternoon to exercise at the seminary, there was about 20 of us that would play basketball. And I proudly wore that Magic Johnson tank top. It was surreal. I've been unable to duplicate that gift ever in the history of my life. Always kind of looking at this store and that store going, well, if I did this, then I did that. And Truth be told, when I wore that jersey and we played basketball, I identified with Magic. I'm going to move the ball. I'm going to pass the ball. That's how it's going to be. And we're going to roll on these people. And there's a little bit in the back of, little bit of voice in the back of my mind. Yep. You and magic, you, you and magic, Tim, you guys have a lot in common. And then, right, and then your prefrontal cortex takes over and you realize how ignorant and immature that is. Finally, I had to get rid of that jersey. It just finally frittered down to nothing. It was frayed at the end. It was, it was just a mess. But, but to be able to identify with someone who's a superstar... To have his number on the front and my name on the back, I thought that was unbelievable. When I retired that tank top, I mourned for six months. I thought it was just great. I thought I'd be buried in that tank top, but not so much. After that, right, your identification, the things that you identify with in your life continue to grow and expand and move towards maybe a better model of something. During the last weeks, we have gone through the Gospel of John, and maybe you've identified with somebody going along the way, with the quizzical Nicodemus, with the lonely woman at the well, with the man born blind who, once his eyes were opened, his heart were opened as well. Maybe you identify with the Bethany bunch who grieved for a moment but saw Lazarus come out of the cave, and then began a parade to Jerusalem to see Jesus go to the cross in the open tomb. Last week also allowed us an opportunity to identify with people in the story. Maybe Mary, the mother of our Lord, Mary Magdalene, the wife of Clopas, or maybe it was the faithfulness of John, the denial of Peter, the sacrifice of Jesus. Maybe there was a person in that story who you said, if I could buy that jersey, I would buy the jersey of St. Peter or Mary. I love that story from John chapter 20. Thomas distinguishes himself as being somewhat skeptical. Thomas called Didymus, right? The, the, the twin, one of the twelve. John's painting the story of intimacy of a, of a little room. Thomas had a, a few quips in the New Testament. The one that I like the most is earlier in John. When Jesus says, we're going to Bethany, and Thomas says, well, I guess we should go there with him so we can all die together. And so I wonder if Thomas had that kind of cynical, sharp attitude. 
But now it was a big deal. Thomas had seen so much and he still didn't quite have it together. He didn't quite believe it. The blind could see, the water into wine, the official's son healed from a distance, 5,000 people fed, he himself gathering a basket of food and fish left over, and, <laughs> and still the skepticism. Jesus wasn't holding a lot of cards at that point, maybe one or two left to play. He'd, he'd played them all, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, and now after the after the crucifixion, the disciples had been scattered some. The first time Jesus appears to them, Thomas isn't there. And so when they gather together again, Thomas says, No, no, unless I can see it and touch it and feel it, then I'm, I'm not going to believe. That's ridiculous. It has to be more sensory for him. He, he doubts the veracity of what his brother disciples have seen. He doubts what's going on and forever. That's why Thomas is associated with doubt. I doubt it. Persistent doubt is a painful piece of humanity. Persistent doubt is toxic. The context really doesn't matter. If we consistently doubt ourselves, then then we lead to depression. If we persistently doubt our spouse, then we're on our way to eroding a marriage. If we have persistent doubts about our work and our business and our life, then that negativity can spiral and lead us to a very, very dark place. Persistent doubt needs some sort of internal intervention. Where somehow we say, you know what, this is where I'm at and this is what I need. And you know what, doggone it, I've got this together. I'm going to stop doubting and I'm going to believe. Or persistent doubt, which erodes our faith, needs an external intervention. Where someone puts their arm around you and says, I'm with you. I've noticed where you've been. I've heard the tone of our conversations. I've watched your body language and, bro, what's going on? You're hurting. Yeah. I'm living with this sense of doubt about. We live in a time of acculturated doubt. Since maybe the Civil War, people have been all hepped up about a doubt and skepticism. Unless I see it, I don't believe it. And now we live in a time where you can even see it and it can be overt. And people go, yeah, I still don't believe that either. And you can say, but no, it's the truth. Here's the science behind it. Here's the study. Here's the thing. This is real. Well, I don't believe it. Well, okay, then what can I do? Well, unless I feel right or unless I can share this thought, then I got... I have my skepticism and my doubt. It seems to me that in this day and age, it takes a little bit more for someone to say, I believe. Especially the younger generations. I'm not sure how far we have to go sometimes to demonstrate that what we believe, the veracity of what we believe. But it used to be, Dad said it, I believe it, let's go. And now that's not so much the way that people know things or know the truth. I have a friend, I have one friend, I have a friend, and the friend said to me, he said, Clink, here's the deal. 
Anybody can be a doubter. It's easy to be a doubter. But to believe in something grand takes work and dedication. I believe that to be true. Anybody can stand up and say, yeah, I don't believe that. Well, then what do you believe? Well, I'm not sure. Well, why aren't you sure? Well, I'm not really sure about anything. Oh, what do you believe? Well, let me tell you what I believe. So this text is beautiful. This text is filled with life and togetherness and community and certainty. Any moron can doubt, but it takes a disciple to believe. So Jesus pops into the room, works his way across the room, and the, 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 the words are, are so powerful. He, he pops in and he says, peace be with you. Oh, okay. And then he walks us right over to Thomas. My hands, my feet, here's my side. It doesn't appear in the text that Thomas had to handle Jesus. And then Thomas makes that marvelous confession of, of faith, my Lord and my God. The once wounded and now restored Jesus was right there. Stop doubting and believe. I don't know about you, but I had a tough time getting up for church this morning. I knew I had a humdinger of a sermon. I knew it was just going to be fantastic. And it's not really true. I knew that everyone was going to be tired. We have a little church fatigue the week after Easter. She's tired. But this text, there's something about this text. Stop doubting and believe. Give it up. Give up the persistent doubt. Give up the skepticism in Jesus. Just give it up and let it go. You believe. That's why you're here. You believe. No, no question about it. There's lots of people that don't believe. It's easy to not believe. It takes effort to believe something. And you believe. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, then you have life in the name of Jesus. If you didn't believe, you wouldn't be here. You believe the hands were open for Jesus to be pierced and nailed to a cross. Not hands that had to be pried open, but hands that were open as He freely gave Himself for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You believe in the feet that were pierced for Him. So that He would suffocate a little bit more slowly. But when He said, it is finished, the price for our sins and our ransom to God was paid full in the blood and the suffering and the death of Jesus. You believe that His side was wounded. So we would all know that He died. And there'd be no question as to whether He was in some state of this or some state of that or He just kind of passed out. No, no. They put a spear through Him and they didn't break His legs. He was dead. Jesus, then, is the sacrifice that God would make for all believers and doubters alike that would bring peace with God for you and me. You believe this. I believe this. And together we share faith in Jesus Christ. I'd be lying to you if I told you I never doubted. There are times where I sit in my office and I look at a blank computer screen. I think, now what? Now what, big guy? Let's go. 
We've done so many funerals and had so much care to give to dozens and dozens of families so far this year. It just kind of wears you out a little bit. And my faith gets a little worn out. I have to refresh that. When I feel that sense of, like, like, like when I'll pull the dog's tail a little bit to get his, get his attention. I, I feel like the Lord's pulling my tail a little bit and saying, Timothy, Timothy, stop doubting and believe. And sometimes when we're going down that dark road, when we look at our lives and look at this very little point in time, and there's this little seed of doubt, then we spray it like we would a weed, or we pull it like we would a plant that doesn't belong there, but don't feed it. Turn from the dark Turn from the doubt and don't let that doubt find a root and gain momentum in your life. Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. And there was Thomas and the disciples. <laughs> they believed. Here's three things from this text that I think help us stay away from those pieces of, of doubt. And one comes right from the text itself. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have life in his name. The scripture is the witness of the truth of Jesus. These signs, these things that Jesus did, they're done so that you believe. So read the Bible. Scripture eradicates doubt. Read it, listen to it, immerse yourself in it. With all of the media we have, with all of the things that are on the internet, with all of the things you can get on your phone, turn off the Packernet podcast and put on something good for your soul. Stop doubting and believe. Immerse yourself in Scripture. But pastor, where do we start? If you're struggling, start with the Bible in a Year podcast. If you set it up on your phone just right, every time your Bluetooth connects to your car and you're on your way to work, you're right there. I went through the last two weeks, the judges, refreshing the history of Israel, and I thought, my gosh, how could God love any of us after that? And over this last week, Father Mike has led us through the Gospel of John, and I was able to smile in my truck and go, that's right, that's right, that's right. These are written that we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have life in his name. Where do you start? Start in John 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Start in the beginning and let Scripture guide your heart and mind. Find a person in the book that you identify with and follow that person all the way through the book of John. Maybe Peter or Nicodemus or Mary. Secondly, engage in community. Typically, when people begin to have that toxic, dark way of, of thinking and, and, and that doubt, they, they retreat from community. And they say, I'm going to get to clarity all by myself. I'm going to sit in a cave and, and I'll be okay. And that never works. You heard it here first. That never works. We don't get to clarity by sitting alone. We get to clarity by living in community. Thomas's eyes are opened in community. John does not record that Jesus went to Thomas on his own and said, well, Tom, it's just you and me. Rather, he comes to Jesus in the community of his disciples. Peace, Jesus says. And do you notice that after that, there, there, there's no grumbling and griping? 
John does not record for us that they elbowed one another and said, <laughs> Thomas, what an idiot. Thomas, what a dope. Thomas, now do you believe? There's none of that. He sees and he believes in community, and the disciples are whole. People struggling with persistent doubt almost always persistently pull themselves out of community and hope that in the vacuum of their own time and their own kind of will all come out of the cave okay. It just doesn't work like that. We gain clarity and support in the community of the body of Christ. Even if it's simply coming to worship on Sunday morning and having a donut and a cup of coffee and arguing about whether it was Magic Johnson or Larry Bird who was the better basketball player. Stop doubting and believe. And thirdly, look at the testimony of the disciples. Man, when I'm worn out and tired, when I, when, when, when I begin to think about the things that I believe in and I don't believe in, and I've got to stop myself, I go back to this room. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Eleven ragtag guys, one that didn't even believe. And those eleven guys took the world for Jesus. Every disciple died save for John. Every disciple died a martyr's death, bringing the gospels to the ends of the earth. And after a hundred years, the gospel had already gone up into Europe. How about that? Eleven Unreal. Consider the witness. Thomas himself landed in India as recorded in 52 AD. He preached the gospel and the Indian Christians have a lineage that dates back to, to that time. In 72 AD, it's recorded that Thomas was martyred as he was speared in a town that is now called Chennai. Would have he given his life if he had any reservation? about who Jesus was and what Jesus did? I wouldn't. I look at the veracity of the lives of the disciples and I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he worked through the life and the community of his church and that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Look at the history. Look at the testimony, consider the witness. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, St. Paul, great-great-grandparents who got on a ship years ago and said, rather than believe the stuff that's coming out of here, I'm going to America, and we'll connect with our aunts and uncles, our family in Orange, and we'll start a little church. Yeah, but it's only 1884. Right, they've been there two years. We'll be okay. And little people from faraway places got on ships and came here for religious freedom, was here to be found in America, and an expression of their faith was to be found at St. John's in Orange, even before the city of Richland was incorporated. Consider the witness of those who have gone before you, each disciple giving themselves for spreading the truth of Jesus Christ I'm not sure they would have died for anything other than the absolute truth. And what Jesus rests on our heart today is that marvelous blessing. Blessed are they, rather, who have not seen 
and yet believe. Blessed are you who see Jesus through the eyes of faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.